Our God has been so wild lately. He doesn't seem to listen. He doesn't obey my commands, and we can't even bribe him with treats. He's gotten so out of hand, he may even have to be put down. God is not the problem here. The problem is the people who want to be the leader of the pack. We reintroduce God. We retrain people. You're listening to The God Whisperers. Welcome to The God Whisperers. I'm Craig D'Onofrio. And I'm Bill Swirla. Today we have a special guest, a third <laughs> microphone edition, a rare third microphone edition, with the Reverend Matt Harrison, who is uh, the head of Lutheran World Relief and Human Care Ministries, the executive That's director. LCMS World Relief. What did I say? Lutheran World Relief. Whatever. It's, That's a different organization there's, there's entirely, no, dude. There's no other Lutheran church, <laughs> is there? Not anymore. <laughs> 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 oh yeah, yeah. It's fun watching him get slapped a bit. Oh, oh gosh, he does that all is... the time. You know what's what's really amazing, Matt? Is I'll make a doctrinal <laughs> point, and he'll say you're wrong, and let me tell you why, and then he'll say exactly no, what I just said. The word is you're wrong, grasshopper. Grasshopper. <laughs> let me tell you why, and then he restates what I say. And if, the, you might want to explain before we even go any further here the ambient noise. Oh yes, we're at the uh, SoCo luncheon where Reverend Harrison just spoke. And uh, we had a rollicking good time as he uh, was here speaking on his new book. And uh, we'll be rollicking. talking about that. A rollicking, rollicking. Good that's time. Quite a, that's, that's quite a that's good right. time. The ambience yeah. aren't ambulating right now. Yeah. So we, we've got a bunch of guys milling around in the back. Hey, if you want to call us and leave a message on the God Whispers hotline, 626-593-7713 or... Manly Doctors 13. Absolutely. Which spells out manly. Matt, we got to tell you about this. Uh, we got this number and we couldn't <laughs> figure out what it what it was. And uh, so I put it in a little program on the interweb there. And this was one of the options. Manly Doctors 13. Now, neither one of us have a doctorate, but it works for us. The anyway. manly part, no problem there. So if you want to email us, Bill, what, email what, what do you do? Godwhispers at gmail.com. And, of course, visit the website, godwhispers.org, where you can partake of God Whispers swag. As well as, if you haven't already, sign our guest book and identify yourself if you wish. But uh, the guest role has been growing steadily, and we have many, many new people. Uh, Nice to hear from everybody. Uh, We're also on on Twitter at twitter.com backslash godwhispers, and you can look us up on Facebook somewhere. That's right. Mm -hmm. And you can go to iTunes and simply subscribe to the God Whispers. We are so plugged in all over the place. That's right. Matthew, welcome. Great to be here. Matthew Matthew Harrison, good friend of mine, fellow fellow guitar player, banjo player, mandolin player, and I might add uh, a woodworker as, as well. You are a man of many talents. Well, uh, what's what's on the workbench lately? Jack of all trades, master of none. Nice. You know, uh, just before Katrina hit, now four years ago, I was just in the planning stages for a wood canvas canoe. Ooh. And I've never been able to, <laughs> I built a uh, cedar strip canoe about 25 years ago. Yeah. And I sold it and bought a banjo, which I don't regret. <laughs> which you play quite well, I, I will say. Well, we try. Yeah. Um, so I really wanted to build a wood canvas style canoe for many years been studying it for a long time my my final goal is to build a bark canoe though a bark canoe yeah, like, studying this for a long like time. the native americans yeah, use absolutely are you going to are you going to use traditional methods yes absolutely wow Wow. Didn't they but use fire with workbench that? now? I've got a Gibson F5 style mandolin carved. I've got the sides bent and glued. I've got the neck carved and uh, peg head 
cut out and I'm ready to glue it together if I get a life here sometime. <laughs> and I've, I've seen pictures. You, you do a great deal of inlay work, too. Yeah, I kind of fell into that. I've, I ended up using Merrimack. I live near the Merrimack River in Baldwin, Missouri. Oh, yeah. And the Merrimack produces these wonderful, meaty clams that are about the size of my hand. Uh-huh. Thick. He's got a good-sized meat hook, too. They're, you know, their quality, uh, <laughs> the, the kind of pearl they produce is really lovely. Oh, so it's a mother of pearl. Yeah, well, it looks like. Beautiful. Not quite as pretty as mother of pearl, but, but not that Did bad. you? I mean, did you actually harvest these yourself? Yeah, yeah. Man, I mean, you know, the, this is this is this goes beyond just woodworking. This is this is dealing with the raw material. In I'm the impressed. Raw. I can yeah. eat clams. It is serious obsession. <laughs> this is this is like building your own furniture from some tree you hacked down in the backyard. So you you just you just went and dug out your own clams. Boy, my wife was angry when I chopped those trees down. Yeah, that, that happens. That happens. Kind of left the backyard looking like Afghanistan, but you know, I needed the wood. So. Who can say what's going on? Uh, what's going on with uh, LCMS World Relief and Human Care these days? Well, the Lord continues to bless. We've developed really great capacity, great staff over the last number of years. That's sort of been my decade, my decade <laughs> tenure. Right now, even though the economy is very challenged, we're working on a new uh, effort with some very significant donors to increase the reach of our AIDS orphans care, especially to Kenya. A thousand and one orphans. It's in the current issue of the Lutheran Witness, and you can get that online at lcms.org as well. And it's a great effort that clusters the care of children who have lost their parents, gives them foster care overseen by a Lutheran deaconess. Mm. These kids are cared for in the context of a Lutheran family, a Lutheran congregation. They get the, the catechism, the Bible, and uh, care by a Lutheran deacons. If, if people want to see this uh, on the Internet, do you have a website that people could visit? Just go to lcms.org, and on the left-hand side, you can click on LCMS World Relief and Human Care. LCMS World Relief and Human Care. Now you have, uh, and we have it in front of us here, you, you have uh, a, a, a very large book. Yeah, it got kind of out of control. Tell us about the book. <laughs> I mean, this is a large book. Yeah, 826 <laughs> pages it ended up being. Nice. Crazy. Nice piece of work. And, yeah. and, and this is, uh, are these, um, first of all, the title. I can't see the title. You've got it closed here. At Home in the House of My Fathers. Yeah, it's, uh, the subtitle is Long, Presidential Sermons, Essays, Letters, and Addresses from the Missouri Synod's Great Era of Unity and Growth. And mm. it's a book mostly of the there's about a hundred discrete essays letters and all kinds of things by the first five german-born presidents of the lutheran church missouri synod walther winniken schwann pieper and fotenhauer that covers 1847 to 1935 wow they were all born in germany they were wow even fotenhauer i didn't know that fotenhauer after uh, Benkin followed him in '35, and Benkin was uh, the first American-born Missouri Synod president hmm. after 90 years of existence, which is pretty incredible. Well, are these? Pro- oh, I'm sorry. Uh, no, please. By all means, Craig. it's the Bill Swirla show. I'll no, just, I mean this. I, I'm, I'm going to be in the bathroom. It, far be it from me to interrupt you. No, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> what prompted you to write this? What 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 got in your head? 
Well, I have always been active, well, for many years, just translating things that interest me, mostly out of German, sometimes Latin. Uh, I've published a number of things over the years, a couple of volumes of Hermann Sasse, The Lonely Way. In fact, I have a couple more volumes in the works that have already been turned in for Sasse, which is hopefully will come out in a year or a year and a half. This is my way of maintaining some sanity, either early in the morning or most of the time late at night. And... Uh, I go in spurts. Sometimes I don't. I just back off from watching TV and find a quiet place and dig into musty old documents that have very surprising and contemporary themes. <laughs> are these your own translations? Most of them are. Probably 75 percent. A number number of them are documents that were available from the Synod's Concordia Historical Institute Society. Papers, uh, some mm-hmm. translations that have been done, especially uh, by Everett Meyer mm-hmm. of Schwann. And there are a few documents that were found in very obscure places, no longer available. And uh, But most of them dig, dug out of uh, journals and, and uh, newspapers and things from the 19th century. So this brings some new material to uh, English-speaking Lutheranism that wasn't wasn't readily av- or wasn't available before. Absolutely. I don't know if you're, I don't know how much history you folks cover, but uh, the whole controversy between Wilhelm Löhe and uh, CFW Walther on what the Office of the Ministry is, which you're very familiar with, Bill, the trip report from Winnikin and, and Walther oh, to see Lea. Yeah, yeah. Almost 100 pages in here. Nice. Annotated. Uh, Rachel Mummy translated that for me, and I had great fun annotating it, finding on Google Earth and uh, Ancestry.com actual addresses of the, of the uh, people they were visiting at Leipzig. Oh, oh now that's interesting there. That brings a little technology wow. into the, uh, the thing that previously was not available to us. <laughs> it's got a satellite view of that place. <laughs> the, uh, you know, it's huge. What are you, 800-some pages, right? Yeah, yeah, um, and when you go through all, is there a recurring theme amongst these five men? And uh, Because you, you seem to identify this as, a, as, as a, an important moment in the Missouri Synod and perhaps something we ought to be paying very close attention to. Is, are there recurring themes here? Yeah, and I think themes that are very contemporary. Um, coming to the American context and coming out of a German rationalist context, they faced a kind of liberalism that we faced and the uh, kind of paganism that we face every day. They faced a uh, United States that was largely unchurched. You should read the essay by Francis Pieper on the assassination of uh, McKinley in 01. He laments that a terrorist has killed our president. This happened right before <laughs> our eyes because the media coverage is so vast. Wow. No. And then he goes on to say, um, what is our answer? And he preaches the law to his readers, complains about the prevalence of abortion, where wow. American women uh, run around the world saving the children of non-Christians, and yet uh, more and more children are murdered in the womb in the United States. This is 1901. More wow. things change, and the more they the stay the same. the country do not go to church, and those that go to church hear political messages or anything but the gospel. It's so contemporary, it's unbelievable. So if you disguised who the author was and didn't know the date, you would swear that it was written in the last <laughs> oh, three or four years. Absolutely. <laughs> And, and, you know, what's, you mentioned, you know, the proclamation of the law and the gospel. What's, what's their approach then to all of this? You know, if the, if the situation is more or less the same, it kind of tells us we ought to be taking the same tack. What would they tell us? What would, what would they say to us today? I think they would simply call us to repentance. Hmm. 
Fotenhauer does this often. In fact, Schwann, they all do. They, they remember this wonderful statement by Luther that the gospel is a fahrende Platzregen, a passing rain shower. Luther, had, Luther was a prophet almost, and you know, he was. He talked about uh, Germany, and the, the rain of the gospel would pass, and it would only last for a lifetime, be gone, and Germany would be overrun with Turks. <laughs> wow. Live it today. Yeah, yeah. And so their answer isn't sort of attacking society or attacking science or attacking the culture. What they do is they call themselves to repentance and clarity, clarity of confession. They call themselves to the word. They talk about repeatedly about the strength of the church is and its unity is by serious consideration of the word at every level, every conference, everything they do, pulling people into the word of God, which they fundamentally believe was clear. Isn't that amazing that these men and the pastors of this time would actually discuss theology? We get together at our Winkles, our, our circuit meetings, and usually theology is the last thing that we talk about, is herbology or whatever, that. you know? I mean, they, would, they would and do lament that. Um, how can we remain united as a piece by uh, Winniken? Or every one of them talk about remaining united, and the strength of the Missouri Synod was that we tremble in front of the Word of God and humble ourselves in front of the all-powerful Word of God. And Luther's teaching, too. Walter writes a piece, his last uh, pastor's conference he ever attended, 1887, just before he died, he delivered a piece on the fruitful reading of the writings of Martin Luther. Calls the church to repentance and back to its fundamental, its fundamental uh, uh, texts. Back to the forgiveness of sins in Christ and sin. So when, <laughs> when, you know, when we lament our disunity... Or we, you know, we look at the state of Lutheranism, either nationally or globally, or however you want to do it. And uh, what you're saying, and one of the things you've gleaned from this, is is that the 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 call is to stand before the Word of God, to hear the Word of God, as law and gospel, and to repent. Absolutely. Walter has a sermon he gives in 1872 on pure doctrine for the salvation of souls, and he says we maintain. Uh, absolute um, correctness of doctrine for the sake of the salvation of souls. And you can't truncate it. He says God has provided uh, multiferous, uh, I mean, he's provided a multiplicity of uh, messages in his word for the salvation of souls, and we cannot choose to say this secondary teaching of the Bible doesn't affect salvation. We give them the whole lot because that's what the word of God gives, and for the salvation of souls. He also says in there, that uh, it was preached at the coming together of the Synodical Conference, which brought about six Lutheran synods in America together. He says, a few years ago, we were all fighting each other in unending theological battles, but I don't regret the fight. The fight was worth it because we took the Word of God seriously, and the Lord has brought us together under the clear Word of God. So now, it's, it's been a blessing to take the Word of God seriously. Now, that's, that's, see, that's an interesting concept that I don't think we appreciate today, that the actual struggle, and it may include fighting, it, it may include disagreement, vigorous disagreement, mm -hmm. is actually part of the process toward a genuine unity. It is. Hmm. You know, it seems like we avoid, our tendency, maybe it's a modern tendency, is to avoid... Uh, that kind of engagement. We have to speak nicely. We have to we have to couch things in inclusive terms, uh, rather than rather than actually risk a genuine argument 
before the word of God. You know, it's almost like Paul's saying there has to be divisions among you to show who's tested. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you, you, if, if you're a person of conviction, you have to respect people with conviction, even though that conviction may disagree from your own. Uh, you have to respect people who take considered positions. And finally, those positions may be different. And what's our task in the church? To continue to uh, speak to one another, to be open to the word of God. Bonhoeffer says somewhere that as soon as we fail to listen to our brother, we have closed off ourselves from God because our brother speaks the word of God to us. I think also we've lost it in our culture because open debate is no longer tolerated. Uh, There's no longer an ability for people to sit across the table and say, Let's disagree on something and hash it out, but still like each other. It, it all becomes so personal that if you say, no, I don't think you're right there, all of a sudden it's a personal attack and you're intolerant. Uh, and I, I think that we've lost this day and age where you could hash things out like this and still have a smoke and a drink together afterwards. You know, I think it's, <laughs> it's Or true. bacon. However, the, the documents do show that there were disagreements. There's a letter on Winnikin suffering depression and Walter wrote to him and said well I get the idea you don't like the way I'm so insistent on doctrine and Winnikin writes back and says no I appreciate pure doctrine then he goes on to say I think we've carried on polemics based too much on personalities Hmm. and by doing so we have driven people away from us who would otherwise have had open ears to us the old ad hominem comes back to bite you so I guess reading history and, and, and uh, first-hand documents, particularly of the weaknesses of these individuals, uh, reading history, I'm ever more convinced that what unites us with other human beings across time is far more significant than what divides us, hmm. even philosophies of our time. Is that, I don't know, is that too radical? But I really believe that's the case. You know, when yeah, I'm looking at a picture of these five guys here who are really kind of off-the-wall-looking guys. Uh, you know, in our day, especially around here in Southern California, this is the area of the celebrity pastor. You know, you got to look marketable. Uh, these guys ain't looking too marketable here. I'm Walter was a you. beautiful what, man. Yeah, what a man. Uh, you, you got some genuine, bona fide, uh, I would say, sort of American frontier characters. Uh, oh, no these, these, guys are, these guys are something else. Um, as you go through their papers and translate, translation, I've, I've done a bit of translation too, and it's fun because it forces you to pay very close attention. You almost get to know the personality of the author because mm-hmm. they have their own unique style and everything. But in, in all of this stuff, these 800 pages, is there anything that like totally surprised you and blew you away? Something you didn't expect from a Missouri Synod father? Oh. Well, I would say there are a number of things that just kind of surprise and delight. I think what surprised and in a way delighted me was learning that the founder of the Missouri Senate had a severe breakdown, physical and mental break, spiritual breakdown hmm. in 1859. And You're talking Walter. C.F.W. Walter. And Winnikin, the second president, came along with another guy, Kramer, and approached him in St. Louis and said, Walter, you need to step away for a while. And it must have been quite a difficult decision to make. But then Walter writes this beautiful letter, which I've translated, where he tells his congregation, for the past year, I've only been to carry out less than half of my office. He said, I only was praying that somehow I would die, but die in the faith, because I feared that I would die not believing in Jesus and be lost. I, who was used by the Lord in such a remarkable way to bring the church together. And then 
he expresses his profound relief that he, he's now sort of in the process of getting better. They put him on a on a uh, paddle wheeler. He heads down to New Orleans on his way to Germany, and he he writes a little bit later to his uh, wife, "Hey, I'm doing much better. Tell everybody, I'm not sleeping very well yet." But I am uh, reading Shakespeare and flopping around on the couch smoking fine cigars. <laughs> nice. Hey, so, so this was kind of a sabbatical for it him was, then. Yeah. And, and for really emotional and physical health Absolutely. Absolutely. reasons. Yep. Wow. There, there are stories about C.F.W. Walther that he actually smoked his parrot to death. Is that true? Have well, you heard that one? I think, yeah, yeah, that's was, it, was it a parrot? Or he canary? Had a, or he had a series of birds. Birds. <laughs> I heard parrots and, and canaries, okay, but yeah. uh, that uh, they didn't fare very well. His, <laughs> and he would, they all smoke, they all like good cigars, but uh, Walter also had a long pipe, and these pipes are still in the Historical Institute, along with other relics and bones of Walter. Yeah, right. It's our own reliquary, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. He would light a, one of these long matches to light this full length, uh, you know, meerschaum or other kind of pipe. <laughs> and he'd be talking theology, waving it around the air and it would burn all the way down to the end before he'd get his pipe lit and he'd have to light another one. <laughs> they all spoke English, by the way. It's often a caricature that they they didn't know English. Well, they, they in fact, uh, were quite fluent in English. Mm-hmm. Interesting. But they, they, uh, they wouldn't, said, they wouldn't preach or do theology in English, though, right? Not that often. No. Although Winnikin, before he broke off from the liberal general synod and then ended up a founder of the Missouri Senate, he said uh, he was arguing on the on the convention floor of the Pen- Pennsylvania Mysterium, and somebody was ridiculing him for his German accent, and Winnegan said, well, you've had bad theology and good English so far, now you shall have good theology and bad English. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, was Winnegan the guy with the, the raincoat, the yellow raincoat? That, that, well, uh, he had these uh, ye- yellow pants, uh, which... <laughs> He was in Fort Wayne, and he needed. He was known to be very poor. And look, look, he lived in a small log cabin, probably ten feet by ten feet, no windows, uh, one door, furniture hewn out of logs, you know, uh, cut logs, literally table hewn out of a log. It must have been just a very little stump in there. That's that's how he lived on the frontier in Fort Wayne at the time, and. Uh, he dressed poorly and he gave away, it's well documented, he gave away his clothes repeatedly and his parish was always offended at how poor he looked and he had patches in his clothes so he goes in um, and this uh, this uh, non-Lutheran tailor is rolling, or merchant is rolling out some yellow English leather and he thinks, I could, if I had met some pants made out of that, they'd never wear out. So he, <laughs> yellow he, leather. <laughs> This guy gives him this, and he has some pants made, and his parishioners see him in this yellow leather, and they're absolutely shocked and offended. <laughs> Ask him where he gets it, and then they take a, a load of corn over to the merchant and say, you're not going to be telling everybody you, you're the one who gave our pastor yellow pants. <laughs> <laughs> the, the story that I had heard the about, I, I guess I heard this from Bill Schmelder, who uh, spent, spent a lot of time reading, but, but when, I guess Winnikin's parish gave him a, a new suit. Once finely tailored suit, yeah. and and he went off riding into you know because he did the the the, the uh, frontier work, and he went off riding into the sunset in his horse on his nice new suit, and came back in his same 
his old patchwork thing. And I said, what happened to the suit? He said, well, there's a family the children needed to close, and so I gave them the suit to cut up and into <laughs> clothing. So it squares with your, you know, his heart for the poor. Absolutely. And, and his, his penchant for giving away his clothing. Just the, literally the shirt off his back. He was good at, uh, he was a good apology. He, for his ministerial examination, he, he had a very liberal board in Germany, and uh, he had a rationalist superintendent quizzing him on the faith, and uh, the guy was quoting Spinoza, and Winnikin tore into <laughs> him for, uh, for rejecting, rejecting the basics of the faith. Uh, so he was a good apologist. He was also attacked repeatedly by the Methodist Apologeta, the uh, Methodist German church paper. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, Luther, or, uh, I would say Luther and Walther in the same breath. I don't know what that means, but it's uh, Missouri Synod loyalty, I think. But, but uh, Walther repeatedly goes after that same bunch in his Der Luteraner. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, uh, that's kind of his, uh, his, his sounding board for the uh, front page piece or, or whatever. Uh, just we have a couple of minutes, I guess, right? Yes? we got Craig's timekeeper here. Um, but, you know, we were touching on Winnikin's work, Works of Mercy. Uh, just back to a little bit your work with LCMS World Relief, and you mentioned the AIDS Orphan Project. Mm-hmm. Anything else that stands out that you're particularly proud of that's going on right now? And, you know, pride is probably maybe the wrong word, but, you know, things to highlight that's going on in the world in, in the name of LCMS World Relief. Oh, my. In, in the wake of the tsunami over the period, and we're just coming to the end of those funds now, we've built numerous homes, dozens of homes for people in need, in Sri Lanka and also in Indonesia. We've uh, assisted the Indonesian Lutherans in numerous different ways in education and all kinds of other outpourings of love and mercy. We've assisted in South America. There's a a very strong movement toward deaconesses in the South American churches. We've been able to assist Hmm. with moving in in those directions. There, There are so many, I mean, just hundreds and hundreds. We, at any given time, will have work going on in 60 to 70 different countries, as many as 70 even. So it's... uh it's endless and unbelievable. The impression I'm getting there uh, from what you're saying is is that this is long-term relief work, too. This is not just, uh, you know, the disaster happens, put in a few million bucks, uh, kind of clean up the mess, and then go on, move on to something else. But it sounds like this has been ongoing, especially, I'm thinking tsunami, which happened, uh, how, when when was that? I've it's lost track. Five years ago. But you're, you're saying it's still, that, that work is still going on. We received about $5.6 million for that work, and we're down to the last several hundred thousand dollars now. Hmm. What we, we used to never sort of... Uh, approach right away with aid. We used to just hold back and let other organizations do that. We no longer do that. Mm -hmm. What we do is we find the Lutherans that are affected, because it's like your family. You know, if if, uh, some storm strikes your family, first thing you do is you call your family and say, how are you? And your family says, we're fine, but our neighbors, they aren't Lutherans, but our neighbors are really hurting and we're trying to help them. Can you send us X, Y, Z? And that's what we do. We strengthen local capacity of local Lutheran churches, local Lutheran uh, denominations, etc., to reach out and love and care for those right around them. We do it from day one. We got a, our guy Carlos Hernandez is at Fort Hood right now. He's been there all week long, and we provided dollars up front for an LCMS congregation with with numerous members affected by that tragedy this past week, providing dollars for uh, families in need for travel and other issues. So you go through local churches. Do you also work through local governments and, and that sort of uh, thing at not all? Not so or? much with local governments. We, 
we uh, work according to local laws and work uh, in conjunction with local, go local governments. The nice thing about what we do is local Lutherans know like working with the Kenyans, for instance, they have my counterpart in the Kenyan church, David Choo Choo, is fantastic with all the issues of shipping and everything else. Uh, we, uh, we send medical supplies to a Lutheran hospital in Madagascar, for instance, so a whole trailer full of uh, fantastic surgical and all kinds of medical supplies that have come from surplus here in the United States. We have locals who are experts in shipping and uh, receiving those kind of things. We, we have them check out all the kind of laws and taxes that we'll uh, run into. Still crazy things happen when you're trying to ship. Uh, crazy things up the Nile River from time to time. <laughs> we're, we're I've, talking, never, I've never tried that. <laughs> we're talking with Reverend Matthew Harrison, uh, Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, World Relief and Human Care. We'll be right back after this. God Whispers. I'm Craig D'Onofrio. I'm Bill Swirla. And today on location, we have Reverend Matthew Harrison, author of At Home in the House of My Fathers, executive director of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Uh, Swirla's showing me something. <laughs> he can't read it. World Relief. That's that's crazy writing. Are you a doctor on the side? Yeah, I am. Well, I'm a manly doctor at that. <laughs> LCMS, LCMS World, World Relief and Human Care Ministries, uh, woodworker extraordinaire and nominated or being nominated I guess for president of the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod because can, we have Can we say that? Is that is that how, what kind of news is that? How how do you is that, I don't understand that all at all Matt. Do, do we we need a ruling on this? Yeah, it's uh it's your an name amazing get, thing to Your go name through. gets kicked around. Let's yeah. just yeah. say it that way. You well, are a prominent name. And one, and all one whose name is put up no matter who one is gets kicked around. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, kicked around is probably a really yes. good way of putting it. Yeah, exactly. you know, but plus, you know, let's face it, I mean, your your pictures plastered all over the place usually in in major world crises situations and you bear a startling resemblance to Teddy Roosevelt. So, you know, that being said, I mean, you know, public office, it suits you. That's, you know what I said, though? Remember what I said a long time ago? Hired, hired Things Conference. I said, Matt, if you ever, ever get elected as synodical president, friends though we are, I couldn't trust you anymore. Yeah, that has bothered me ever since. <laughs> but then recently you said to me on yeah. the phone, I couldn't trust myself. <laughs> and I like that. <laughs> I just want to make trust it clear. Trust not in princes and mortal men who cannot save. The God Whispers are politically neutral. We are extending an invitation <laughs> to President Jerry Kieschnick to come on the God Whispers. And anyone else Absolutely. Whose, whose name happens to be thrown in a hat anywhere... Uh, you're welcome to come and babble on this babble. The third program. microphone is always looking for another victim, a uh, guest, right, to right. Uh, to uh, <laughs> occupy. So we will we will be putting out the call early and often, <laughs> and uh, we'll we'll try to get them here. Mercy. All right. So uh, speaking of mercy and works of mercy, um, you named you you were all over the globe there as you kind of just sort of big brushstroke uh, painted what was going on. That must give you also a vantage point to look at the state of Lutheranism in the world. And yeah. could you comment on that? Well, yes, it's the source of a great deal of angst and lament, also of hopefulness. Of course, the 
the ELCA's recent actions relative to sexuality are but uh, a final sort of blow to the faith in a long series of the uh, sort of development of historical criticism within that context. It's where the Western and Northern liberal Lutherans are going. President Hansen, I mean Bishop Hansen's uh, significant position as head of the Lutheran World Federation means that uh, the issue of sexuality is front and center right in the entire Lutheran World Federation World Communion which claims about 70 million Lutherans worldwide. So, and what is very significant is most of the dollars for the developing world come from uh, Europe and the ELCA in America for the hundred million dollar budget a year for the Lutheran World Federation. Hmm. And dollars come from Dane Church Aid, Swede Church Aid, Finland Church Aid, these organizations that are quasi-state kind of uh, institutions that fund in some large measure partner churches elsewhere. And then dollars come through through for church efforts, education, those kind of things. So there's a huge financial pull toward unionizing liberal Lutheranism. On the other hand, uh, what is uh, passed off as theology by uh, northern uh, liberal Lutherans is increasingly distasteful to our friends in the South who have been longtime partners. Hmm. And they, it, it's, uh, they increasingly experience what, say, the Lithuanians experienced when the wall came down. They were all of a sudden uh, able to have direct uh, interaction with their counterparts in Germany, which they had known so well prior to the wall going up, and they discovered when they got back together, their partners in Germany no longer believed what Luther's catechism said. So <laughs> That's kind of a shocker. They call themselves Lutheran, but the, uh, the catechism's out the window. That's right. So it's, uh, there, there's renewal in, in strange places, like Indonesia, among the Hurria Christian Batak Protestant Church, which is founded as a very kind of a liberal Protestant union with Lutheran influences. And nevertheless, there are many people in that in that church who desperately want Luther's two kingdom doctrines over against Islam's mm. one kingdom dogma, and the, the the country with most the most Muslims in the entire world. India is is uh, begging and and receiving uh, a lot of support, theological influence and support from conservative Lutherans from America. Africa is. Uh, the greatest challenge in Africa is Pentecostalism. There are more Lutherans in Africa than there are in America, and it will always be the case. Yet the Africans realize that their challenge is Pentecostalism, and many Africans want real Lutheranism. It, it sounds to me like what you're saying in essence is that the third world countries seem to be looking for an Orthodox Lutheranism more than the more developed nations. Is that a fair assessment? Oh, absolutely. You continue to see church attendance dwindling rapidly in Germany. There have been analyses recently of the decline of Christianity in former Eastern Europe, former East Germany, which has been just absolutely plummeting even since the wall came down relative to even populations of Christians in the old western zone. Hmm. So, yeah, I mean, Sweden is now fully adopted homosexuality in the church. So just moving, when this agenda has taken root, you can, you can guarantee at the same time the idea that there's no salvation outside of Christ has long gone by the by as well. Oh, the exclusivity hmm. of, of right. Christ. The scandal yeah. of the New Testament. No one comes to the Father but by me. And so if that's lost, what is the church's mission now? Yeah, you no longer have justice. a gospel. Right. And, and Wow. 
You you, uh, you do a lot of travel too, I would imagine. I know you Enough. you you have that great uh, Cabela's uh, jacket, which I got myself one a Did couple you? of years ago. Yeah, and that's my that's my that's my flight jacket. Well, we started a he, trend. He wants to he I, wants to be you when he grows I up. I do. I want to be Matt Harrison. I, I I love that Cabela's jacket. I mean, it's 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 it, it works great through security lines because you know I have I have a system. I've got my cell phone in my my right top oh, yeah. pocket, glasses in the left, keys, the whole thing. You just drop it in the tray does and yours go. Does have a map of Africa on the inside? It does. Yeah, it's it does. You get lost. Yeah. No. I. I it's it <laughs> just a great jacket. But that's not. We're not. We're not t- talking fashion here. Although I wouldn't mind. You know. I'm, I am a fashion he's sort a, of guy. But. The guy is a close horse. You know. He's got his angel flight suit from the '70s still, and it's, it's quite. It's coming back. It's making a comeback. That's right, Leonard Skinner, baby. But. <laughs> the, <laughs> but. Uh, the, the, Something, something from Do the their field. Jeans just get tighter, or are they getting heavier? I'm, I, 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 I think it, I think age is setting in there, yeah, and and, and uh, you know I think the jeans are actually larger. <laughs> but, uh, I, I can attest from my own personal experience that that is the case. I don't, my, mine keeps shrinking in the wash. That's horrible. All I know. It's, it's just horrible. Um, I, I went to a, I went to an Ian Anderson concert last week. The, you know, front man Jethro for Tull. Jethro Tull. Oh, yeah. I had to hear all about oh, this Oh, man, yeah. Well, you know, the thing that scared me the most about that concert was the demographics. Because, <laughs> I mean, I'm seeing people coming in with canes. I, I tell you, canes. Uh, it, it looked like, you know, we are just one step short. I, the music in the nursing home is going to rock, literally, in about 10, 15 years, I'm telling you. But, oh, it really is. But we were, uh, we were standing in line, you know, in the bathroom of the intermission, and, and the men's line, the women's line were of equal length. And I, I, I just comment kind of out loud, loud enough to hear down the hall that if the demographic were 20 years younger, this line would be a lot shorter. <laughs> you know, I was just thinking about this as you were talking. It kind of looked like the waiting room for the urology. You know? the, <laughs> the lobby for the elderly is very powerful, and as your generation gets older and older, I think we're going to see legalized marijuana real soon. It's not a problem. <laughs> well, I've, you know, I have this line. I don't know. I don't have a good poker face, but I have this line that I want to try out of my new doctor sometime. I just got a new doctor a year ago, where you go in for something like an ingrown toenail or something. You say, Doc, you, you think this qualifies me for medical marijuana? <laughs> just to see the look on her face. <laughs> uh, you're joking, right? <laughs> <laughs> Back to travel. Um, yep. you, you've been around. Um, is there any? Is there kind of? I'm looking for a story that that you know somewhere, somewhere in the world that you've been that kind of illustrates where Lutheranism really takes hold and shapes things. That that people grab hold of it, and and the gospel shapes things. You know, because we're so complacent about that in this country. And, 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 you know, there's got to be something in the travels that you've seen where, where Lutheranism made a difference, that the gospel, as it's proclaimed by Lutherans, made a difference. Well, many things come to mind. I think of, uh, oh, my goodness, I think of so many different places. I think of Lithuania. I visited a church in Lithuania, which was in, in the old uh, communist zone, of course, and that church was bombed by the Nazis, burned, and then the communists came in several years later in the 50s, a huge Gothic church with probably thousands of members, uh, German-Lithuanian farmers in the area. The Nazis uh, burned it, bombed it. The communists came in with a bulldozer and bulldozed the remaining walls mm-hmm. so that so the Christians would never have any hope of, uh, of uh, having their church again. 
to this day, on that spot, there stands a black granite altar with the first words of Luther's Reformation hymn, Ein Feste Borges Unser God, on, inscribed in that altar. And the outline of the walls of the church in cruciform still are there. The communists said, these stupid Christians are worshiping in the cemetery. Let them do it. Uh-huh. And so those dear people continued to worship in the cemetery for the next 60 years. Wow. Hmm. And uh, to this day, when the weather's good, they still continue to worship in the cemetery. <laughs> Isn't that marvelous? Uh, other places where, where Lutherans have made such a difference in India, all these different uh, churches. I think of Reverend Samuel, who's the recently elected president of the Indian Church, a wonderful fatherly kind of figure. He's a wonderful Orthodox Lutheran, and yet he was deeply involved, still is deeply involved with ministries of mercy to blind children, to the needy. There was, uh, I met a child last time I was there, this, this child was born blind, and he found out about it, found out the child's Hindu parents were going to put the child to death. Mm-hmm. Because obviously the child had uh, committed a previous life, done something horrible to Got him. it. Got it. So he went out there, implored the grandmother to let the child live and let him have the child. And when you meet that child who uh, loves Jesus and is uh, playing a recorder, playing hymns on a recorder, uh, reciting the catechism, you know... This is an amazing, an amazing feat, and it happens over and over and over again. What a tremendous story. Now, you're involved in Kenya with uh, orphan effort there also. Um, I don't know as you've spoken much about it yet. I'd, I'd sure like to hear about what you have going on over there. Well, the, we have supported uh, a number of different well, orphanages all over the world over the years, and what we do... and. I'm quite happy to have uh, Lutheran people supporting other kind of efforts that are not necessarily Lutheran or Christian. Anytime a kid gets help, it's it's always good. The benefit of LCMS World Relief, though, is the kid gets helped and also is in the context of a Lutheran church home. The kid is getting Sunday school. The kid is a pastor. The kid has a church home. The kids go to church every Sunday and getting cared for. So uh, uh, we have done a number of things in Kenya, including ongoing building of what will be 24 new orphanages because every congregation in Africa basically is caring for a dozen or more, depending on how big it is, a dozen children whose parents are deceased of AIDS. Mm. Now the death rate has declined. It was as high as like 17% of the populace infected with AIDS in western Kenya, but that, that I think that has peaked and the death rate is has declined with the advent of antiretrovirals and I think American and international drug companies have made uh, medications widely available so I have noticed in the last times I've been there far fewer funeral processions anyway but uh, uh, these kids remarkably the kids in Kenya are virtually they have virtually probably 95% maybe even 100% literacy so these children are not stupid Hmm. they know how to read and it's amazing when you meet a kid who's been helped out and is now in university at law school that's Hmm. incredible these may be the future leaders of that country, huh? Uh, in, in some cases, absolutely. Yeah. So it, Wonderful. It really makes a difference in just one... I remember one kid, I've told this story before, 
we, we built an orphanage at a little place called Othoro, not too far from Lake Victoria. And I was there for the day of the dedication. Beautiful little place. I show up, and they, they, the kids are just excited. I didn't recognize them. I'd been there before when they lived in this mud hut, which was wretched by their own standards. The, these kids, dozen boys, they take me through the building, three buildings. They show me, uh, finally, their favorite, the bunkhouse and the outhouse. <laughs> and at that point, I uh, we were all sort of moved to tears at just the sheer joy of them being loved by their local community and we being able to assist in building this facility. And I asked one boy, Eric, I believe his name was, um, what do you have to say? And, and this kid, this 12-year-old, says to me, I thank God and Jesus Christ that someone has regarded us as human beings. Would you please wow. tell your Christians that? Wow. <laughs> That's powerful. That's really amazing. You, uh, to my knowledge, I'm aware that... Um, before you you uh, had the synodical appointment, you were you know you were parish pastor in Fort Wayne, right. and you were involved in similar kind of local things uh, yeah. in in terms of uh, uh, I guess we broadly call it social ministry, but that's not really you know the, the general category of doing works of mercy in the yeah. community and stuff. Um, what uh, what what um, how did that come about? Uh, was was there some kind of a, 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 epiphany moment or some opportunity or something that just sort of said, you know, that this is an important facet of the Christian life and the Christian church. Well, I had been taught at the seminary, like most uh, kind of post-liberal period Missouri Synod Lutheran, post-walkout, we say, when uh, the, the Synod had a split, that social ministry or uh, concern for the needy was something that was not part and parcel of the church's life. That is, the church has the task of preaching the word and administering the sacraments, period. And that's the pastor's duty. And I got into my first parish, a rural parish, town of 200, a parish of 440 when I left. And I was working my tail off, preaching law and gospel, visiting these people when they're sick, and going to the hospital, and burying them, and everything else. And we had a, a nagging, growing population of rural poor, of unchurched people, of people on welfare, of uh, increasing number of live-in situations, and very difficult to evangelize these people. And also persistent issues of addiction and uh, you know, methamphetamine production, those kind of things. Are yeah, that is on. a rural problem, yeah, too. It's yeah, it's a huge rural problem. And I had a great five years there or so. But I began to think, you know, something is missing. And uh, I, I'm, I'm given, I mean, the gospel's not missing, which is everything. And nevertheless, I just knew that there should be something there. Now, the community took care of a lot of things naturally, which was a good thing. But anyway, I got to my next parish, which is a deeply inner-city parish in Fort Wayne, Indiana, as inner-city as possible. It was the literal a bullseye of crime, poverty, drugs, murder uh, in in what was at the time the poorest census tract in the state of Indiana. Hmm. And here's this fabulous, huge Gothic church, which I went to because I loved the church. The congregation was diverse, about 40% black. The school was about 90, 90% black. Very interesting place to be. Horrid neighborhood, prostitution. Uh, you know, I see drug deals going off right next to me. Um, Addicts around, all kinds of 
schizophrenics coming to church at odd times. It was really kind of, you know, I really miss it, frankly. Interesting. <laughs> and you know, and you this don't, is, this you is don't different have any... from the International Center. Yeah, How exactly? I should tell you the story. One of, one of my schizophrenics from Fort Wayne showed up at the International Center. <laughs> oh, there you go. And I, I, I thought, you know, we are not geared to deal with reality He was immediately here. hired. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I I said that. <laughs> uh, well, so uh, I and this neighboring Roman Catholic priest kind of came to the idea at the same time, and we thought this neighborhood going to hell in a handbasket is just wrong, and that I became convinced that the Zion was a is a corporate citizen of his neighborhood and had a responsibility. If you were in your your own neighborhood at home and everything's going to pot, you would have responsibility. So we uh, partnered with the Roman Catholic Church and. Uh, Several other partners, over a hundred nonprofits and businesses ended up involved, and it's still going to this day. And something like I don't know, it's, it's crazy. It's fifty to seventy million dollars has been invested in this thing: uh, new buildings, new housing, new Head Start headquarters, new Urban League headquarters, hmm. uh, senior housing, uh, a ten million dollar senior housing unit. Uh, just one thing after another. It's just shockingly amazing. You know, we think of world relief and human care ministries and. Most of us automatically think third world countries and that yep. sort of thing. But uh, I heard a statistic the other day that Detroit has over 50% unemployment now. Uh, yeah. uh, are, do we have any efforts going on in America's inner cities like that as an uh, entity? We, in fact, do. Uh, and there are a lot of them. There are a lot of mostly weak and challenged um, uh, ministries from weak churches that our polity doesn't support very well. Hmm. Uh, there is the district supports, however. Um, Lutheran City Ministries in Detroit. I was just there a month ago, uh, right down on about Five Mile Road in the midst of what is absolute chaos. I mean, one of our churches, I think it was Mount Calvary, if I remember right. But you just walk down the street and virtually every every house, apartment building burned, just hmm. burned and vacant, block after block. And yet there are people that are affected there. There are Missouri Synod congregations that remain in these situations year after year under the most challenging circumstances, facing the prejudices of racism over against blacks and vice versa, and all of the social ills, and yet our people are there all over. They're there. And through our office, our Housing Support Corporation, we've counseled with, assisted. We're working in North St. Louis. We've, we've assisted in just... Um, uh, probably 50 or 75 different places around the country helping uh, folks find housing and work toward housing projects with uh, other entities in the community, etc. I have a little sort of side question on that, and and that is that with all of this effort going on um, domestically, globally, how much of a a brand identity does the, the name Lutheran Church Missouri Synod have? Well, I think its brand identity is enormous. I think it would be a terrible mistake to change the name. Well, that's why, I mean, that's the reason I'm asking. You yeah. know, it is a clunky name just when you're just looking it at is it. clunky. But when you describe this kind of effort and when you look at the state of Lutheranism worldwide and stuff. We are known everywhere. See, and that's, that's the key. Can you, can you give us a grasp? Can you, you know, you give, go, give us a sense of that. Oh, I don't, who did I talk to? Um, I was talking to somebody. Somebody, yeah. One of our people were on a medical mercy trip just uh, within the last week and a half in Madagascar. They treated a thousand patients. Okay, uh, working medical professionals from the Missouri Synod. We sent them. Uh, they paved their own way, by the way, and they get down there and work with the uh, hospital, which is our partner. Treated a thousand patients out in various boondock areas. 
they're out there talking to some pastor, and and the pastor says, "Are you from uh, ELCA or Missouri Synod?" Missouri Synod. Good. <laughs> it's Madagascar now. Madagascar. <laughs> we are known everywhere around the world, and I I, I was uh, at an event where they were talking about the name change, and I I kind of uh, laughed because one guy stood up and said, "Well." The argument had been put forward. We've always got to explain who we are because of this Missouri Synod thing. Mm. And the guy stood up and said, well, if we change our name, then we're going to have to explain every time we used to be the Missouri Synod. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, the Synod formerly known as. <laughs> that's, you know, and brand identity is hard to establish. And, no, and, and we're, we we're talking it. deep history here. We have it. Yeah. In spades. Yeah, well, that's you know, and that's good to know. And you're, you're, what you're saying is that people are looking toward that. Oh, absolutely. So, was is this? Would you say this is our moment worldwide? It is it. I've said it numerous occasions. This is the chance. If we could simply move, uh, if we could move, uh, and we can, a couple of million dollars, maybe a uh, million dollars per seminary gets us fifty. That's twenty thousand per student. That gets us fifty international graduate students from around the world at. Fort Wayne and 50, at a million dollars, 50 graduate students in St. Louis. There's no reason we don't have the capacity to do 100 at at each institution, Mm -hmm. Hmm. paying for them via uh, dollars from the church. So, uh, and and with that kind of effort, training people who speak 100 different languages or 200 different languages, go home and they bring the Augsburg Confession, they bring the, the scriptures, they bring... Uh, Luther's catechisms to their own people, and they can figure out Lutheranism. Believe me, you mean do. actually bring a Swahili over instead of sending a guy named Schmidt over there to learn Swahili and <laughs> and uh, try to assimilate into a culture that he doesn't understand. Actually, there is a place for <laughs> sending uh, missionaries, and uh, unfortunately, we don't send very many anymore uh, long-term missionaries. But um, there is a place for sending. There always shall be a place for mm-hmm. sending. I'm just saying we could. This is a way that we could increase our theological reach around the world enormously and work toward the vast improvement of the health of world Lutheranism. I think this sounds a, a lot idea. like what uh, what was done with the Russian project in Fort Wayne, you know, bring, bringing a lot of uh, bringing Russians over, or you know there are people going over there too. Did you 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 went? Didn't you? Did you do? I've never gone. I was invited several times. Yeah, I did. did I did the Siberia stint uh, kind of early on in that project. My assistant and, Al Culver has gone over a number of times. Yeah, it's and it's great. It, it's great. But the, the whole idea is uh, we would go there. They'd come here. Yeah. And uh, and you would train Russian pastors to go back and and uh, work with the people that know them. Do we, yeah. do we cooperate with a seminary in, in countries like India or Kenya or any of these countries? Are there Lutheran seminaries over there yeah, that sure. we're cooperating with? Sure, absolutely. And in uh, what ways? There's a, uh, at Matango in western Kenya, there's a Lutheran seminary, and many of our Missouri Synod uh, professors have bo- from both seminaries have taught over there from time to time. The Indian seminary in South India, I've been there um, likewise. Many of our professors have taught over there. There's uh, a more intense exchange going on right now between seminaries because uh, they've gone through some uh, transitions and wanted to improve that institution, and they're looking to uh, America, Fort Wayne, and and St. Louis to to do so. There's seminary exchange going on all the time with South Africa. Willem Weber is the head of that institution there. I was just down uh, talking with a number of people in Argentina. There's a seminary there, uh, Brazil as well. So there's there's a constant flow between the traditional Missouri Center partners. Hmm. I'm going to um, 
just throw one out here and see what you do with it. And that is, uh, you've been a pastor in the Missouri Synod, and you've been a, I, I won't call you a synodocrat, that's my favorite word, but, but you are, you're a bureaucrat, and, uh, but we love you anyway. <laughs> you know, I think, I, I think yeah? that I actually am the one who coined that term, synodocrat. synodocrat? Wow, so we're like simpatico so on try, this. Uh, you try to become what you've always despised and yep. see how your psyche oh, handles Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> I would be curled up in a fetal position in my office, weeping. Okay, so, oh, you but, visited. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we used to come and mooch our food. Remember that? Remember when we were doing the, the oh, liturgy absolutely. committee for the absolutely. hymnal? Absolutely. And as soon as the food came, yeah. here comes Harrison. You know, he's just moving. Well, you here, know why I did that? Huh? I did that because... Uh, Paul Grimm always had everything. He was the head of the Commission on Worship. He had everything so lined up all the time oh, yeah. that he had the, the number of sodas counted and everything else. <laughs> so I would specifically... He, he, just mess him up. I would just specifically with his go mind. by to mess with him. Yeah, well, we saw that and we enjoyed very, it. Very German. You are allowed one soda. Oh, yeah, no yeah. more, no less. If you could change one thing in the Missouri Synod as you experience it and see it today, just one thing, what would it be? I would improve preaching. Preaching. You'd go for the preaching. I'd go for the preaching. I, w- I think, I think uh, we need to sit in sackcloth and ashes together and reread Luther's Apostles and his daring preaching and compelling. At one point, his preaching shook the world. Hmm. We need to sit in sackcloth and ashes and read Dr. Walther's Law and Gospel together. And then we need to join hands as brother preachers, train our lay people on what is a good sermon and what is not, and make them demand good sermons, and preach compelling, urgent, textual, um, ringing bell law and gospel sermons that damn everything in sight under the law. The law meant what it says and says what it meant. It damns every one of us 100%. It's not about bean counting. It's not about getting certain sins right or wrong. It's not about improving your life 10%. The whole lot is rejected by the law. And then applying the gospel repeatedly uh, in all of its facets to every malady in life. That's what I would change if I could change anything. Preaching. The Lutheran Church is a church of preaching, and uh, that is where we most desperately need repentance and renewal. Thanks for being with us, Matt. Matthew, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for listening to God Whispers. We'll catch you next time. Jesus is a friend of mine. Jesus is a friend of mine. I have a friend in Jesus. Jesus is a friend of mine. Jesus is a friend of mine. He taught me how to live my life as it should be. He taught me how to turn my cheek when people laugh at me. I've had friends before, and I can tell you that he's one who will never leave.